Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Today, I'm speaking with Jim Baskin over at GigNet. Uh, uh, Jim is the current uh, Director of Security and Compliance at GigNet Vision. But before that, going back in time, I see that you spent many years at Microsoft, and I believe that was probably your... First, you know, uh, this is where you held uh, your first couple of positions that are related to risk management and maybe somewhat around compliance before moving to uh, to the travel industry. And, uh, you know, you held a, a few other roles as well. Maybe you can step in, introduce yourself and your background. That would be excellent. Okay, great. Thanks, Ben. Um, yeah, uh, so uh, my career, I really came up as uh, in project management uh, system development. Um, and so I uh, tried to learn different things when I got into the um, uh, into technology, did stuff. I was a, a network system engineer, a database administrator, uh, did a network uh, network engineer. Uh, and then at Microsoft, I went into uh, 91, started uh, trying to sell uh, OS2, and then uh, Windows NT just as it started. So um, it was kind of a, a rollicking wild time for a few years. And then I went into IT, uh, managed the HR systems for Microsoft, and then uh, Microsoft uh, Consulting Services. So um, through project management, that's how I started learning more about risk. And then uh, as I took on, uh, well, and then compliance as I took on ownership of systems. Got it. Thank you for that introduction. Uh, looking forward to, for a talk today. And as I always like to mention, this the, the intent of this podcast is to create uh, you know content and distribute it to the industry for the benefit of our listeners out there. And it's mostly going to be focused around about you, not about the company or the specific role that you currently hold. Uh, yeah, well, you know, let's get started. And before we do, I always like to start off with a couple of icebreaker questions here. Uh, if you're willing to share your marital status and favorite drink, that would be great. Huh? Okay, great. Um, yeah, uh, got divorced many years ago. Um, and so dating a nice woman here in Cancun. Um, my favorite drink now is a um, extra añejo or extra aged tequila called uh, Cava de Oro. So it's uh, aged in wood, so it's got kind of the complexity of uh, a scotch, but it's, <clears throat> excuse me, but it's uh, sweeter. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've really been enjoying that. Interesting. And you are based out of Cancun right now, Mexico? Yeah. Yeah. Two years ago, I, uh, I made kind of my permanent move here, and that's how I got uh, uh, got connected with GigNet, because I was looking for uh you know, local job, um, and Gignet's just down the street from me. So it was exciting that they were looking for somebody to lead the, the cybersecurity and compliance area. Nice, nice. Have you picked up Spanish full yet? Uh, I'm working at it. I've been, <laughs> uh, it started with Appalachia Group, started studying Spanish about four years ago. Um, and so now I can have, you know, simple conversations, and I'm, 
I'm pretty good at understanding, but I definitely need to get my grammar and uh, learn more, learn more words. Yeah, learning a new language is always hard. Um, and you know, well, let, let's, I think we can get started here. So uh, the first question that I usually like to ask is, like looking back at your career, and you've been around the block for at least like two and a half decades, I think. Uh, what's the one thing you wish you'd known? I wish I'd known, yeah. Um, so it was interesting. I, I, so I think um, I was, uh, I had thought uh, that you want to be 100% ready for any job you take on and just do, you know, obviously it's great to knock it out of the park. Um, but I had been offered a couple of uh, really exciting opportunities over the years and that I turned down because I didn't feel I was 100% ready. And what I would say is, uh, you know, if somebody has faith in you to kind of challenge you to something maybe that you don't think you're ready to do, um, I'd say go for it. Um, you know, be honest about, you know, your experience and your, your ab ability to do it and your excitement. Um, but uh, yeah, I wish I'd tried a couple of those jobs and just, um, you know, kind of learned as I went uh, rather than assuming that anybody who took that job would have already had the experience to do a great job. Mm, okay. Got it. Uh, interesting. And what would you say, looking back at your career, what would you say your biggest fa biggest failure was? Uh, let's see. So uh, when I was at Microsoft, I was working in the advanced technology group um, for Microsoft Consulting Services, and there was this new uh, uh, this new uh, cable television service uh, I was helping to uh, a product group create, and um, the uh, it was all these kind of graduate level engineers and they were doing something that they and none of them had done before. And when I was, you know, I was in charge of organizing and making sure things went well. Um, and when I tried to put together the project plan and I, I like to make sure that we know where we're going and that we're getting there, um, the pieces, I, the pieces never fit together for me. And I, I thought it was because I didn't have that engineering background that the other guys did. Um, but then you know, six months down the line, I found out that no, there was enough people who didn't understand how the pieces fit together that, you know, the project just didn't work out because the, the what one person was developing didn't actually mesh and, um, you know, we couldn't put the pieces together in the end. So, um, you know, I think my failure was, uh, you know, thinking that other people, uh, other people knew what they were doing and doubting that I knew it. Um, and I should have at the time uh, escalated the issue and said, okay, if it doesn't make sense to me, um, it's likely that there's, uh, it's, it's not making sense to everybody else. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that uh, there was a communication issue between you and other parties in your organization then? No, it, so, um, so Microsoft has lots of smart people, lots of very self-confident people. And actually it goes back to the first one where there's, there's people who they're more willing to, you know, kind of not necessarily fake it till you make it, but um, uh, work with ambiguity. Um, and even when there's something maybe they're not a hundred percent sure of, they'll present a very confident uh, demeanor. Or, and, and so um, I, I mistook that confidence for, actual knowledge or actual experience. Um, and I, so I, I kind of got, uh, I got fooled in that respect where I should have uh, been more uh, skeptical with some of the people and said, okay, so really 
if you can't explain it to me, I'm not going to believe you. So in future projects, it's like if, if they couldn't explain it to me, I didn't believe that they really knew it. And so mm. that was able to push people to, to ask themselves questions or have them solve questions early on. Um, and, that, and several times those questions had them uncover things that would have been problems if they had waited, you know, another two or three months to look into. Got it. Understood. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, what would you say your biggest accomplishment was then? Um, so I was lucky enough to be um, the first uh, first person to work with the uh, exchange team. They were looking to move from a, um, a enterprise base, so about a hundred thousand people maximum, to uh, network scale, internet scale. And so um, I worked with there uh, and put together a team. We worked to prove that uh, exchange could scale uh, first over two hundred fifty thousand then over a million, and then actually we did a test over 10 million. So that was kind of the basis for, you know, exchange in Office 365. Um, I think it's the exchange, you know, it, it brought commercial exchange out to telephone companies around the world. That was kind of the next step. Um, and so, yeah, it was a very exciting to have some influence where it, it actually, you know, I could see it influence tens of millions of people. Wow, yeah, that's impressive. Uh... I definitely recall these, uh, you know, first years of, uh, for me, with uh, dealing with exchange back in 2000. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that was interesting back then. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, looking at the industry right now and uh, at the professional, the various professionals and vendors and, and whatnot, I mean, this industry has grown so much for the, I don't know, like past 15 years, I think, 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. What yeah. advice, what piece of advice would you give someone that actually wants to pursue a career or, you know, and eventually become like a, a senior director or even a chief information security officer of an organization? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, to me, uh, cybersecurity is the is the exciting area right now. Um, it reminds me, so when, you know, when Windows started in the 90s, um, you know, there was, you know, it was interesting, but there was lots of uh, little fragmented companies, people trying different things, a lot of stuff you weren't sure if it's going to work or not, very immature. Um, and then things coalesced over time. They got to be some really amazing companies, uh, fewer, bigger companies. Um, and then, you know, it got to be more, um, you know, the kind of quality was much more standard. Um, and I think I think cybersecurity is, is at that coalescing point where there's thousands of companies doing cybersecurity, um, and so I, I think it's a great time for somebody to get involved. Um, you know, I, I guess I recommend so that you could either take, I, I took the approach of learn, you know, something about lots of different areas. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to have that knowledge because, you know, the CISO is my goal. Um, but I think, I think you could also, um, if you're starting uh, earlier in your career in cybersecurity, you could pick one area. So networking, databases, um, even, um, uh, workstations and then become an expert in that area and then branch out to other areas from there. So you could either do either do deep or do wide, but you want to have one of those two um, to really add value in a company and um, understand the security implications in those areas. Mm -hmm. Let's expand a bit about, you know, going deep versus going uh, wide, because I think, you know, that's a recurring theme. And I've, I've had this, this discussion in the past with a lot of, uh, you know, colleagues as well as employees and other professionals in the industry what do you think is better if you want to you know progress into the the seat of a 
of, of the CISO eventually? Would you, would you say, you know, start with going deep and they, then go wide, go wide from the get-go? Like, do you have any any tips here? Yeah, that's tough one. Um, so uh, what I did is I, uh, I did about three, four years in different uh, in different areas. So I did uh, three years in development and test, um, well, I guess four years in networking, two years in database. And so that, so I got somewhat deep uh, or, or deepish uh, in, in a few different areas. And so I, and I, so I appreciate having that time at least working as a professional in each of the different areas. Um, I think I would feel, I would, I was, I would feel at a disadvantage if I did, you know, I was hugely uh, expert in networking, for example, for 15 years and hadn't worked professionally in databases or uh, application development. I, I think I, I would feel less secure, less comfortable as a CISO. Um, but uh, so, I, I know, and I like that. I liked, I liked learning different things. I like the um, blending of, um, you know, and I like cybersecurity is, you know, you have to understand how the network works and, and the database works to do database security and, um, you know, how the network and application works to do application security and, and potentially databases as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think it's, I think it's very challenging having to understand how the different components work together. But I think that challenge is what is part of what makes uh, cybersecurity, you know, more interesting and then also makes uh, cybersecurity professionals uh, more valuable. Yeah. And, and, you know, personally, I think that, uh, I think I'm with you, like going deep on a, like on a, on a few pillars or, or, you know, learning a few silos within the, the industry would, uh, serve as a great benefit as you try to progress and move up the ladder, uh, because mm-hmm. otherwise you'll just, your knowledge level will never be, will, will might, might not be sufficient or as complete as you would want it to be, I think, as a professional. Yeah, because yeah. Mm. I know when you're looking at, you know, through the different vulnerability descriptions, um, you know, if I think you need to have some understanding of the area to know the severity of the vulnerability. And also it helps you to determine what you need to do to protect yourself from it, even though they, you know, they, they, they describe it oftentimes if it's a, if it's a database vulnerability it'll be a database engineer describing it. So if you haven't learned those terms or you know, ha- have a sense of how that interfaces with a, a, the network, oftentimes you may not understand what's, you know, what the risk is or what, um, what you need to do to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, some, in some organizations still, we see CISOs that are a part of the IT organizations. Uh, and I know, I know you, you know, Graduated uh, at Microsoft for spending a lot of years there. I know they have a slightly different methodology. What are your thoughts about you know having the Caesar as part of the IT organization? Is that something that uh, organization should be doing? Should not be doing? Any thoughts? Yeah. So, so like five years ago, ten years ago, I thought that made more sense because the CISO was kind of a um, you know was implementing these specialized tools in, in the environment of IT, um, and so from a from a tool perspective, um, I understand the thinking there. Um, now, in, in recent years, I think you want to have cybersecurity decision making uh, risk based, and so to really understand the risks of the company, to have access to the C-suite to discuss and 
you know, prioritize and, and decide on mitigations for risk. I think it makes sense. It makes much more sense to have the CISO separate um, so that, and, and they're also, assuming they're also kind of a risk officer, but also involved in, in prioritizing risk. So yeah, I, I would, to me that the IT, the CIO is different now if you have the CISO doing the risk. Mm -hmm. if, I guess if, if the CIO was in charge of risk, then it would make more sense for the CISO to be in that area. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Then, you know, straight, in, straight into the point. Um, and as you progressed and as you graduated and learned and, and assumed more responsibilities, what did you do in order to better yourself and to learn more? Did you, was it mostly like, uh, you know, self-learning, industry certificates and training? What's your secret? Um, I think, I mean, I think it works best if you do uh, kind of many different dimensions, right? So that, so you've always got kind of ongoing um, webinars that the different, uh, especially different uh, security companies are providing or the different organizations. So, uh, you know, it's important to have an idea of what's going on in the organizations and in day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week sense of attacks and, and kind of the general security situation. Um, I took a uh, great, um, a risk management class uh, online at Harvard, and then the um, University UC Berkeley has a great um, uh, cybersecurity uh, certification class, a six-month class. So I thought both of those were were great because they give you um, a kind of a more well-rounded view of um, just kind of uh, kind of what the professional viewpoint is there, what the overall situation is, and then of course cybersecurity. There's so many different areas and tools, it takes a long time to learn about that. So I appreciated having an organized, you know, long-term uh, curriculum related to that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm not sure how long ago that was, but do you feel that's still relevant? Like the academic courses that you mentioned and, uh, mm -hmm. and the programs like at Harvard and UC Berkeley? Yeah, I mean, so it's, <clears throat> it's like the, um, you know, I guess like most, uh, uh, university courses. So there's there's some stuff that you need to keep learning um, and that are, that's gonna change. But the idea of, uh, you know, kind of the foundation for operating systems, tools, networking, um, the types of, uh, well, uh, you know, Linux uh, utilities and things, it, it, it's still, you know, it, it's still a strong foundation for learning ongoing. Um, you know, cybersecurity changes so quickly you do need to keep uh, you need to keep learning new things and 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 stay current. Um, so it, it has to you have to have a certain amount of uh, kind of self-directed learning, I think, to um, you know to kind of feel prepared. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think there's there's enough seminars, email uh, email mailing lists, uh, websites that uh, once you kind of get that base, if you stay current, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think it, yeah, I think it stays. It, I think you are up to date on the things that are happening. All right. And what's your take on conferences, by the way, like professor and conferences? There's so many, like DEF CON, RSA, InfoSec, and so many others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think um, it's a big time commitment. Um, I think it's great to go to them every so often. I mean, it's so GigNet, you know, here it's a more of a startup environment. So it's it's tougher to get away you know, for a few days or a week at a conference. Um, uh, when I was at Apple Leisure Group doing uh, risk and compliance, you know, had the ability there, more ability there to get away and, and go to a conference. And I thought they were excellent. 
Um, but um, I, I would say that the ongoing learning is more critical. And then conferences are good for getting, you know, in depth in certain areas that are of value to the company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would also add that uh, they're good for networking as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's definitely a big, big time commitment, um, you know, just to be able to put uh, like a week or even like two, three days off your calendar just to attend a conference that's, uh, in nowadays, it's, it's pretty hard to do. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Moving forward. So uh, looking at the industry, what's the one common myth that you wanted to debunk? So I think um, this idea that cybersecurity is uh, kind of this mystery that business people can't understand. I think I think we need to uh, we need to learn to explain it, uh, cybersecurity, in a way that people in the company understand the risks, they understand our value to the business, um, and they um, you know and usually it's risk based, but they can really make decisions in you know the value of a new cybersecurity tool or a new cybersecurity engineer, um, so that yeah. You know, we take kind of the, the black magic uh, dimension out of it as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the first, the black magic. Uh, I've never heard anyone explain it like that. Uh, thank you. Um, in your opinion, what are the main concerns that CISOs nowadays should have? The, the well, the, the big players in the, uh, for malware and ransomware are getting so organized. I mean, whether it's a country, which you know, obviously those uh, those groups are are well organized, but the criminal groups are getting so professional um, and uh, putting you know and and getting very well organized uh, with resources. Um, I, I think our industry is going to keep. It needs to get organized. We've got a lot of great. Um, you know, groups organized by law enforcement, some uh, private groups with law enforcement. Um, but I, I think the uh, the way that we're going to uh, be able to defend ourselves from these um, these advanced groups is uh, getting together ourselves and um, you know really participating in in uh, shared knowledge with user and law enforcement groups, um, and then also we're seeing that the, the um, Companies, the companies that sell our cybersecurity tools, are um, consolidating, and so I think that's going to continue. And so, you know, I think with that consolidation of us as users, and also more powerful tools that are consolidated, uh, I think we need to have that uh, have that uh, happen and work together in order to be able to to defend ourselves. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that, and. Um... So we've spoken about, uh, we've started speaking about the, the Caesar role and the industry in a nutshell. In your opinion, what are the most important skills that CISOs should have nowadays? Because as you mentioned, you know, it goes back to the question about uh, the role of the CISOs part of the IT organization, where, you know, in the past it was more of an IT related role. Nowadays it's more of a, like, you know, I would say a business role, I think. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, it's coming from a fairly technical role. I know it, it, it's sometimes uh, you know, people hesitate to say business or, but, or, or think of soft skills. But I think, um, and, and one thing I like about how I perceive the CISO role, um, I think we need to understand 
the technical aspects of you know the current threat landscape, tools that are going to protect us at different levels. So, so for example, um, you know, I think there's, uh, let's see, with Gignet, I want us to get us to a safe level, but there's, and, you know, a certain level of spending. And if you want to get to the next level, I think it's, you know, a, a bigger chunk of money, right? So you, you, you need to, um, like, if you look at the, um, uh, areas of the uh, cybersecurity framework and, you know, the five different uh, functions. If you are weak or, you know, very weak in one area, that's going to hurt you. So you, I think you need to be strong in all five areas or in this case, so let's say medium in all five areas. And if you're, you know, spend a lot of money in two or three areas and you're and nothing in the other two, people are going to, you know, are going to be able to get in and, and do a, a certain level of damage to your company that you don't want. So I, I think you need to have the technical knowledge to um, uh, to know how to defend yourself, to recommend the tools, but also to be very successful as a CISO. You need to have that uh, business sense of being able to relate the tools as a value to the business and be able to explain to people, this is what you know, this is what the tools do in a general sense. These are the risks that the tools help mitigate, and this is the general level of money that the risk could cost us or the tools could save us. Okay. So I, I think mm -hmm. it's complex. I, I think it's, it's a real challenge to know, you know, both being able to discuss the business and the technical side. But again, I think that's an exciting challenge. Yeah. So a combination of uh, business skills plus technical skills, uh, skills at some level. Uh, and, you know, let's expand on that. Where do you see the seizure role in the future? Like, let's say five years from now, 10 years from now, how would that role look like in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's been, you talked, talked a little bit about the, um, lots of different tools, different levels of maturity. I think the CISO has been a, uh, kind of a builder or contractor in a sense of pulling together lots of little things, trying to get them to work together. Um, I think as the years progress, five years, 10 years, the CISO is going to be more of a higher level executive where there's, um, there are tool sets that really work well um, and they're very predictable and you have more than one set to choose from. So it's going to be a, um, you know, more um, kind of a vendor selection uh, and uh, talking about business value and risk. So I, th I think it's going to be less uh, kind of a, a technical, less of a technical role and more of a business role as it goes forward. Yeah, I agree. And I think the transition has already, it already started in most mm -hmm. organizations, uh, especially here in the US. Uh, I'm not sure about globally yet. Um, mm -hmm. Now, and in your opinion, uh, and I know you've, you've mentioned the malware as, you know, an area of concern, but uh, what will we see in the cybersecurity world next, whether we're talking about solutions or problems? Yeah, I mean, I think the just as uh, we as the uh, you know, blue team, um, as we do consolidation and growth, I, I think we're going to keep seeing that in the attacker side. Um, so, you know, it seems like we'll likely have, you know, I don't know if it's script kitties or kind of people dabbling in um, uh, in attacks and malware to try to make some money. Um, I think. I think as we lift uh, the defense higher and higher, um, I think 
people have to use like the malware as a service um, and use, you know, start subscribing to different services to help lift their attacking level or the, the level of sophisticated sophistication for their attacks. So, um, yeah, it, it, I, I think for a long time, um, you know, I, I think both the attacks and the defenses are going to keep uh, rising at a pretty, the sophistication is going to rise fairly quickly over the next few years. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, have you noticed any like trends in the way you, you know, not you, the way the market considered like budget planning in terms of uh, <clears throat> pre-pandemic, post-pandemic? So let's see. So uh, Gignet, I have not seen a big difference. It's been really focused on, um, you know, kind of risk and value to the company. Um, the so here I'm trying to think. You know, in so Gignet, we're also providing now um, uh, help provide managed security services to our customers here in Mexico. Um, and so I think I think Mexico is getting uh, the attitude of. Um, you know, before cybersecurity was, you know, maybe you needed to spend money, maybe you didn't, you know, you get a, and, and so I think it's a little, a uh, few years behind the U.S. in the sense of it, they didn't see it as, um, uh, as a requirement uh, to have, you know, organized cybersecurity protection. Now, because of the, the, the attacks during the pandemic, here I'm seeing more people um, accepting cybersecurity as something that they know they need to spend money, need to spend money on. So I think I think that'll continue. It's still I don't know if it's a it's still a percentage of the businesses here. Not every business in Mexico, um, you know, believes they need to do something beyond you know just uh, endpoint protection on their on their workstations. But I think that's gonna I think that's gonna change over the you know every year. I think more and more companies are gonna accept that uh, the risk is great um, if they don't uh, take a reasonable uh, have reasonably organized program to protect themselves in cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, regarding what you said about Mexico, where do you feel, where do you think regulation comes into play? Because like, um, we, we started to get more and more uh, inquiries from uh, from companies over at Mexico around ISO 27001 certifications. So I'm assuming there's a shift in the industry in Mexico right now. Well, that's interesting. So. Um... I, mean, I think it might be just a general quality idea. I don't know of any any new regulations. There are, um, you know, they have data privacy regulations. They have an I, uh, a government organization that will um, uh, review data breaches or data losses and and can impose pretty good fines uh, for a data loss. Um, but yeah, so I'm not aware of of new legislation that's going to. That's going to kind of demand more quality. Um, I think I would imagine it's more of a um, you know an interest in becoming more kind of globally competitive and and the ability to show um, good quality in planning. Mm -hmm. Okay, and just to clarify, I was referring to the obviously to the ISO twenty seven thousand and one the, the information security management standard, and I, so yeah, and you know my my question was whether or not uh, like. I'm assuming compliance is a driver for boosting up your information security as we, you know, in other parts of the world, obviously, uh, because you mentioned that uh, for the major, for the major part, I mean, it's just like 
not really doing more than endpoint security. So, but uh, and from what you said, I understand that there is some level of compliance there, probably not at the same maturity level as um, perhaps other countries, but there is a level of that, right? Yeah, it's, um, it's not very prescriptive. Um, I mean, there is a responsibility to be safe and have reasonable precautions with the data of your customers, but it's not very prescriptive. So, um, you know, I think maybe people are um, looking for their own approach to try to uh, protect their company's data. Mm -hmm. Okay, understood. Um, great. So, um, moving on, I think this would be probably my last question about the industry. Um, do you have anything else to add around uh, like innovations in the cybersecurity space? What would you define in particular as innovation in this space? Um, let's see. Well, to me, I, I think where we're going, and I think that's what's going to be the most value is um, integration of the different tools so that they so that they work well together, they're easier to implement, easier to maintain. So, you know, I'm sure there's going to be still, there's still going to be, um, you know, new ways to, you know, detect bad behavior or um, maybe faster ways to recover or clear out malware. Um, but I think the innovation or the, the biggest value at this point now is, is, is getting many tools as, as these tools consolidate, getting them to work together. So, um, you know, for example, you know, we've got right now we've got, uh, you know, XDR for the endpoint detection and response. We've got uh, the backup. We've got um, uh, phishing. We've got the, uh, you know, tool to evaluate the links and and uh, see if they're safe or not. I think I think we'll see suites of tools that cover a wide range, a wide spectrum of protection backup, so that it's easier for somebody potentially with two or three tools to have a pretty robust uh, cybersecurity program uh, rather than needing 10 or 15 of them. Okay, uh, and as a follow-up question to that, do you have any particular uh, stand, stand on security um, compliance automation platforms? No, the, um, let's see. So I've used some uh, compliance platforms, you know, but the, I'm trying to think. So even at Microsoft, I mean, I, I did fine for the most part with Excel, you know, if we're just trying to, you know, we're trying to meet, um, you know, a set of requirements and track what we did on those. Um, you know, I, I'm sure some of the, I, I've, I've looked at them. Some of them seem nice, but I haven't seen anything that it's like, wow, it really, uh, I really felt it was going to make my life that much easier. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, switching gears here, um, let's talk a bit about vendors, not too long. If you were a vendor, what's the one promise to yourself that you would never do when trying to engage with a new customer? Well, certainly, I guess it'd be, uh, you know, lie or tell something that wasn't true. Um, I guess I always have, uh, so I helped with, you know, sales at Microsoft and I help with sales at GigNet. Um, and so I'm careful if I say something to, to make sure that it's accurate. Um, and that if I don't know, just say, I don't know. 
but uh, yeah, I know it's you know a big thing like with sales is you're supposed to you know understand what the customer needs and then you know and then talk about how you're going you can help fulfill that need. But it's so hard uh, to get customers to talk about what they need. Sometimes you just want to say, "Oh, I can do this. I can help you here." And so you know, I, I know people do that for me, um, and I know I've done that. To other companies and of course if somebody tells me oh i've got this great solution and it does da 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 and i just say ah, i don't need that thanks and, you know hang up so you know it, it's it's an interesting i don't know not say a game but um you know i, I know you, you want to make the sale you want to help people as a vendor um and as a customer you've got a million things going on so um you don't want to you don't want your time wasted by people who are doing doing stuff you don't really need. So a bit of it is just chance, you know, sometimes the person mentions something that you happen to need. Okay. Then you start talking um, or they, they choose something that you don't need. And then, you know, maybe a tool that would be very useful gets shut out, but you know, it's mm -hmm. just kind of the dance, I guess it's the dance that you do. Yeah. So what it is that you are looking for in a vendor when engaging with the vendor as a customer? Yeah. So I guess, uh, let's see. So I appreciate, uh, the salespeople who've been around a while and, and know that there's often, uh, not a perfect answer for things or not an easy answer for things. Um, I, I guess I want a vendor who knows enough to tell me when, uh, they're not sure a product's going to work or where the shortcomings are of the product. Um, cause it's, uh, I don't know. Uh, there's not many things. I'm trying to think of found anything that does a hundred percent of what you want or what you expect. Um, so uh, I think initially the, the salesperson, there's a connection there, there's a trust there, um, and then for, for companies that I stay with, the companies are in, you know reinvesting in themselves. They have good people. They're growing. They have partnerships with either partnerships or they consolidate with other great companies. So I feel like the the, the tool that I'm investing in today is going to keep getting more and more capable. Um, and so if it's not if it's not one of the two or three top vendors, you know, in the end, it's still going to be something that, um, you know, I guess I feel like my investment and my learning is going to last for several years, not like I have to replace it next year. Okay. Um, um, thank you for that. So just to, you know, just to uh, do a quick recap and make sure that I understood, basically what you said, in other words, is that you're looking for a long-term relationship and for long-lasting, whatever it is, pieces of technologies or even services from, from a vendor. Was that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's the, because we're learning how to use that special tool, right? And so there's, other other tools can do the same stuff, but they work a little differently. So I I want to have the learning that I do this year um, help me next year. Maybe learn more of the features and more of the new features. I'm sorry, um, uh, learn more of the new features um, rather than having to you know come up to speed every year on a new tool. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Um... We're almost at the tail end of our uh, time today and this, the end of this episode. Uh, would, would you like to uh, like name drop uh, specific individuals that were very influential to you throughout your career? Um, yeah, I guess I have a couple who, who are great. So my uh, last CISO, uh, Dave Whipple, um, he came up and I think spent uh, 20 or so years in, I'm sorry, um, 
in the military um, and worked in the Pentagon and other things. And uh, his just um, his ability to uh, focus on the business value. He was at Apple Leisure Group, and he really kept uh, you know he kept great attitude, supported his people, and you know he really and he talked with everybody in the company. So he he made cybersecurity approachable and uh, very understandable. So I've tried to do that as I go to uh, other companies is make sure people know valuable that, um, you know, if they make a mistake, just tell me about it. You know, it's not, we're not trying to catch them on things. We're not trying to punish them. Um, we're just all working together to try to keep the company safe. Okay. Thank you uh, for mentioning him. Um, what's the best way to connect to you? Connect with you. I think LinkedIn is the best way. So you can find that uh, Jim Baskin at Gignet on LinkedIn and uh, send me a message. And it's, it's, yeah, I check that and happy to, happy to talk through that. Got it. And one final question before we wrap this up. Uh, if money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? Move to uh, Cancun maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with the choices I've made now. Um, but uh, I thought about that one for a while. And uh, so I, I figured what I'd love to do is, uh, uh, start an archaeology company and so kind of uh, start unearthing some places and then having you know kind of the museums and the and the ability to protect uh, what we unearth because I know that's in, I know that's a problem is you know the people dig stuff up and then it gets sold on the market on the world market so um, having it so that it could be saved and shared with the world would be great mm, okay so uh, and is that for the purpose of posterity or is this for uh, uncovering like uh, sort of a lost lost pass or something like that um I, I mean I just like digging stuff up and finding <laughs> things so I think uh, I think I know in uh, Yucatan Peninsula right where uh, Cancun's located there is potentially thousands of uh, Mayan cities that are underneath the jungle um, but you know once you uncover it now it's uh, uh, can be attacked by the environments and and can be degraded, so they just leave it buried, um, and so and also so people don't steal the the artifacts that you uncover, mm. and so I think it'd just be exciting to just see you know what what did people look like you know what what did what did what were their cities like what did they develop what was their art you know a thousand two thousand years ago three thousand years ago yeah and even more well. Yeah. Nice, good, good. Um, so yeah, I think with that, any final notes before we break this off? Nope, nope. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I liked uh, I heard your other podcast. It was uh, it was great to hear from those other people. And yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for taking the time and uh, you know providing these insights and honest answers to my questions. Okay, have yeah. a wonderful day. Thank you. you too. Thank you. Mm -hmm.